This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because... Yeah, they do. <laughs> Hello, Minimizers. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. We Live are in, in Denver. Denver. Woo! Wow, that was louder than Salt Lake. You are, you are so popular. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, I was up there after your talk. I was giving this, uh, this reading here, and I was reading about how much is enough. And we never stop to consider enough. And I think one of the reasons we don't stop to consider enough is because we're always considering more. And it's sort of in our, it's built into our DNA, not as humans, but as a culture, as a society, especially as Americans. We we believe in never-ending, constant growth, right? And, uh, and it's virtuous, it's good. We're taught that we're supposed to grow. I was backstage talking to Paul from Canyon City uh, about, about this, and he asked about growth. And I said, well, it depends on, on the type of growth, right? Like, my daughter's eight, and she continues to grow every day, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful. But if you have cancer, that's also a growth, right? And I think we don't stop to discern one growth from the other. And sometimes we don't ask what is enough because we're afraid of the answer. The answer is almost always less. Less is enough. How do I get less? That's a terrifying question for some of us. But it's an incredibly freeing question if it's less of the things that are making us miserable, that are making us discontented the things that are getting in the way of living the life that we want to live. We buy a lot of things because we think they're going to make us feel something. And the problem is they do. They make us feel pleasure in the moment. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. But constant pleasure-seeking, we confuse with what? Happiness, joy, contentment, tranquility, peace. It's even in the founding documents of this country. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, that's nonsense. Happiness can't be pursued. No thing can make you happy. Here's the difficult part. No one can make you happy either. You make you happy. It's already there. It's your default state. And yet we cover it up with a lot of uh, trinkets, with a lot of pleasure-seeking. We try to go over there to pursue happiness, but it's already right here, right now. I think we got some questions. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, my name's Leah. Hey Leah, Leah. what's on your mind? Thanks for coming out. Yeah, um, so I have a question about transitions. So I'm about to make a big one um, because I've decided enough in a good way, in a very, very good way. So I've been following your work for a decade. Um, my question is, do you have any strategies or rituals when you enter or when you're coming into a time of transition to kind of honor what was and then prepare for whatever might be? Why, why do you feel compelled to honor what was and what are you preparing for? <laughs> um, 
I feel compelled to honor what was because it was incredible and taught me a lot and brought me to this moment and introduced me to, I think, um, an awareness that allows me to understand what you talk about and I think what brought so many people here. So I, I just kind of want to respect and honor what the last 15 years were for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, we as humans, we love like a, you know, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it sounds like you'd want this closure on your stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I mean, that's, it's totally appropriate. Um, I don't know, you know, Marie Kondo talks about thanking each individual item. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever actually done that. But I have, you know, donated some things. And I think about where those things are going to go. I think about like the use I got out of them. And, and how someone else might get that same use out of those. So there are these stories that we can certainly tell ourselves to, to kind of help, uh, help end that, man, I almost want to say relationship. But, I mean, we wrote about a relationship with our stuff in our book. So it is, it is. To, to end that relationship. The one thing I'll say with any transition, though, um, if you have an opportunity to choose like where you're going, like first off, that's amazing that you've set yourself up that way. Like that's, that's really awesome. It, it actually makes me think about um, Frank. He was an architect in our first documentary. And he talked about how when he, built a, when he was building someone a house, he never asked them, like, oh, do you want a, do you want a living room? Like, yeah, I want a living room. You want two living rooms? Yeah, I might as well have two living rooms. Like, he never asked them if they wanted anything because they would just say yes to everything. So what he did is he really got clear on who those people were and the house that he could build around their lives because it's too often that we just buy a house and what Josh was talking about it earlier and we just feel compelled to fit our life into it instead of going uh, from the other direction. So that said, with you, you can really get a clear vision of what you want by getting, by getting clear on what your values are, what, what really makes you tick. And I don't know um, how clear of a picture you have with that, but anyone here, I mean, if, if you haven't like literally sat down and written out what it is you value, um, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because these values is really what helps us make better decisions moving forward. So if you go, uh, you can go to theminimalists.com forward slash V as in values, and there's like a values worksheet there. It's and, also in the book. Oh, that's right, <laughs> it is in the book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so uh, th there are four different values that we talk about, and, and we talk about these values in the book. Um, you've got your, your foundation, you've got your structural, uh, and, and then you've kind of got like your, um, you know, your, surface yeah, your surface values. But then really there are these four, fourth values though, that, I, that really kind of sneak in, and these are imaginary values. It's things that we like tell ourselves are important, but they really aren't. Like checking Facebook and checking email and, and, and you know, sitting down and binging Netflix or whatever. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. The problem is when we put those things above those three other values that are important to us. So I would highly recommend like just getting clear on those. And if you've got like a, a partner, a romantic partner, it's awesome. He's over there. And awesome. Thanks for coming. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for being dragged along. <laughs> but what's cool is like you and your partner can sit down and, and, and go over this because then it helps you understand each other's values and the relationship can just flourish so much more when you guys respect each other's values. I know this isn't the lightning round, but here's something pithy for you. If you want to, um, if, if you want to honor the past, the best way to honor the past is to learn from it. 
And it sounds like you've done that already. Now, we can pause for a moment and acknowledge it, but the past doesn't actually exist. It exists only in the memories in this present moment, which is a beautiful thing when you think about it because there's nothing to change there, right? There's also nothing to hold on to. And I know we can get really caught up in the way we wish things had been. I wish something had gone differently, right? And that makes us really upset. Well, that's simply an expectation. And maybe one of the better ways to let go of the past is to let go of our expectations. I'm also sensing a little bit of, a little bit of grief in, in, in this moving on. <laughs> Am I wrong in that? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, I think you're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's normal. I think grieving the, the death of something. Yeah. It can be a person. I mean, that, that's the, the sort of... Um, yeah, the, the apex of this, yeah, grieving is loving, our friend uh, Dr. Joanne Cacciatore would say. And, um, and yet, we can grieve these events in our lives as well, realizing that quite often the way to move on is sitting with it for a moment. You asked a question about rituals mm-hmm. as well. And um, I don't really buy into to rituals. Uh, I don't, any sort of any step-by-step thing, um, how-to, prescription, et cetera. And, and the reason that I don't is it feels very suspiciously to me like something that I, now I have to do as opposed to something I get to do, right? And so here's the best way to create rituals or what you might consider rituals. Find something that is so compelling and put it in front of you that you don't need a ritual to do it. Ooh, that's pithy too. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Thank you. Thank you. Howdy. Hi. What's Hi. your name? Jess. Hey, Jess. Hey, Jess. What's on your mind? I just want to say it's so nice to meet you guys. <laughs> Likewise. I'm yeah, grateful you're nice here. Nice to meet you too, yeah. Um, so my question is, how do you let go of a relationship that's still bringing you joy, but it just can't work out right now? Yes. Yes. Is that person here with you right now? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that person is... Um... That could have been one way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're doing it right now. No. Oh. So this person is actually... They're banned from the country. Oh. oh uh, you, you, you're like, that's a big restraining order. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, so... You say the, the relationship brings you joy, right? A moment ago, I talked about how happiness can't be pursued. So I'm going to give you a few truths here, right? These are not my beliefs. This is not my opinion. I can give you those later if you'd like. But um, I'm going to start off with some truths here. Every relationship in your life will make you miserable. You didn't know that's where this was going, did you? <clears throat> yeah, so there's something pithy in there about, about um, yeah, so choose your misery wisely, right? But actually, I think we need to get below that. We need to get to the surface. Well, why is that? Because this is going to be the key to understanding that joy you talked about. Well, the reason that every relationship in your life is going to make you miserable is because not of the other person. It has nothing to do with them. It's always our expectations of them. 
No one has the power to make you upset. Yes, I understand that their behavior might cause some anger to arise in you, but that same behavior doesn't make the person next to you necessarily angry, right? Or upset, or frustrated, or worried, or discontent. Whatever you want to call it. It's fundamentally all the same thing, right? It's misery. We are making ourselves miserable, and then we're doing what? We're blaming other people for our misery. And I get, sometimes we don't like someone else's behavior, something they've done, something they're not able to do, you know, if they can't get back in the country, whatever it is, and that might piss you off, right? I get that, but letting their bad behavior upset you is punishing yourself for something they did. Wow. And so, if we're talking about how to let go of someone. Ooh, there is no how-to here. But we can, we can dive deeper and, and, and try to understand it. So that misery that we experience, it's based on our expectations. Well, how do we let go of our expectations? We see them for what they are. It's all a farce. Any of these expectations we have on other people, what are we really doing? Expectations are really nice, societally acceptable way of saying blame. Well, here's the true sign of maturity. Letting go of the blame. Not blaming other people for the way that we feel. Why does this have anything to do with your question? Well, because <laughs> you talked about how this person brings you joy. I get it. The, be the behaviors, when they meet your expectations, give you great joy, right? But also maybe just being in their presence creates a, a, this joy within you. There's nothing wrong with that. If we enjoy the person and we don't seek pleasure from the experience with the person, right? And so that joy is the same thing. It's just a flip side coin. We call it something else. We can call it pleasure. We can call it happiness or whatever. And I try to make some distinctions between those things, and, and I think it's important too, but really understanding what's going on in your viscera, it's, it's a, what's going on in your heart, right? It's, it's important to, to understand that if, um, if you rely on other people for your joy, you'll always be miserable. If you understand that, there's no how-to letting go, because letting go is not something you do. It's something you stop doing. You stop clinging to the things or to the toxic relationships or to the past. That's what happens when you let go. So I'm assuming with this person, like you've gone way out of your way to probably show them that you care about them, yeah. that you love them, that you enjoy their relationship. So since you've done that, um, it might be time for a new season in this relationship. Maybe it is to like let it go. Um, I always say before, you know, I, I look at someone, I'm like, yeah, you need to dump that person. You need to get rid of that person in your life. Like I will always ask, no worries. You can kick me all you want, man. Um, I will always ask like, what have you done to try and like repair this relationship? And sometimes that includes like setting up some new boundaries. And because you've gone so far out of your way to treat this person with love and compassion, you have every single, uh, I want to say every single right to go to this person and say, hey, look, like this relationship, 
I really appreciate it. You know I do. I've gone on my way to show you that. But there are some new boundaries that I really need your help setting up. And, and that might be an approach. Um, but yeah, if, if it's bringing you joy, like, well, like Josh said, I mean, every relationship is going to bring you, you misery. I told my niece this, or I'm sorry, my little cousin this, uh, when I was in upstate New York visiting family, um, she was like talking about her and her relationship with her mom and how her mom does this and that. And, and she was like, oh, you know, I wish I had a different mom. I'm like, it doesn't matter which mom you have, like not just your mom, but any relationship is gonna bring you misery. And she was like, what? She's like, but Mar like my wife was standing right there. She's like, but Mariah's right there. And I'm like, yeah, she knows this too. And Mariah's like, yeah, it's true. It's, there's, there's, it's, only, a matter, it's only a matter of time before the, the frustration, the anger arises. The question is, is, does that misery outweigh the joy or does the joy outweigh the misery, right? So with Mariah and I, obviously, it's 99.999% joy and then I'll do something stupid and piss her off. But she can tell you all about that, uh, you know, if she's ever on this podcast. But anyway, um, so that, that's the question I would really ask you is like, does the joy outweigh the misery or the misery outweigh the joy? And if it's, if it's the first, then I, I would, you know, I would say, hey, try to set some new boundaries and see if you can maybe change the relationship a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but you do whatever you want. Whatever you do is going to be the right decision. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. You know, Ryan, last night I realized um, this is a really dumb decision because I'm up here like man spreading in front of hundreds of people. And I realized there's a hole in my crotch. Oh. Um, <clears throat> yeah, now Ryan and I weren't on the road. We share one pair of underwear. So last night was really embarrassing because <laughs> he had the underwear. Oh, man. But... I hear now it's like really cool, so I'd fit in on Fairfax Avenue right, now. Yeah. They're distressed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> Howdy, um, what's your name? Hi, I'm Kayla. And hey, I'm like Kayla. totally thrown. I don't know what I'm asking anymore. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, Kayla. We can just talk. How are things going? How, how do you like Denver? I love good, it. Good. Well, awesome. I'm native. I'm from here. Um, okay. Cool. So my question is not very deep. But I think it's important. So I tracked that in my life, most of the things I purchased or purchased and then regret, regretted were in this seeking of this fantasy self. Mm. So, you know, I'm going to become this person who makes my own latte or I'm going to run on the treadmill in my room and save on my gym membership and inevitably it becomes the clothes hanger, <laughs> right? So I'm a behavioral scientist and I try to think about how do we stop the thinking before the actual behavior to then avoid the getting rid of dumpster fire. So what advice do you have for people, even if, maybe they don't even know, but that might be in this like fantasy self fog. Like I need that blue glitter eyeliner to wear to the drag show that I'm never going to. Like, <laughs> what yes. do we do? Well, have you been looking at Josh's makeup drawer? To be fair, I just have one blue glitter eyeliner. <laughs> and it adds extreme value to my life. Yeah, a lot of aspirational purchases here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually a good term. Yeah, aspirational purchase. You know, the thing looks so great on the mannequin or on the ad. I see it on these billboards in L.A. all the time, like for Rolexes. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I need a Rolex. Why? Like, it's not going to get me more time. Now, I'm sure Rolex makes fine watches. Um, that's, not, that's not the problem. Think, you've identified the problem, though. Let me identify a deeper problem, though. 
and, and you've already talked about it, behavioral science, right? <laughs> Uh, you talked about the thoughts and, and the thinking, and my guess is you, you seem really, really smart, and so you're probably tripping over your own brain. <laughs> so you understand, right? You, you understand, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, I, don't, I make these aspirational purchases, and then I always regret it, and you understand that intellectually, but you don't understand it in your heart yet. <laughs> And, and the reason you don't is because at the moment, those things are the most compelling thing for you in the moment. And it's going to make you, well, it, you're talking about consumerism ultimately. Let's talk about what consumerism is. Consumerism is merely the ideology that buying something is going to make me more whole or it is going to make me complete or it's gonna make me happy, right? Or maybe a combination of all of those things, right? And so. Is it going to make me complete? Is it going to make me happy? Well, no, of course, you're already complete. So no thing can complete you. Now, our things can augment our experience of life. They can enhance our experience of life. They can amplify our experience of life, right? But they can't complete our life. And as we've already talked about tonight, they can't make you happy. And the only way you're actually going to understand that is if you get past the intellectual side of it. Because we can intellectualize it. You're doing math when poetry is much more appropriate here. Oh, man. I don't know if I have advice. Um, maybe some observations just with any time I find myself getting in that mindset of if I own this thing, I'll be this type of person. Like, I really have to ask myself, is it the person that I want to be or is it the person that I think other people want me to be? So I, I think that's an important question to ask. Going back to those, those values, I mean, so if you think about a house, you got the foundation, right? So you got your foundational values. These are pretty solid, uh, good health, good relationships, so forth and so on. Then you got structural values, which is kind of the framing of the house. And then you've got these surface values, which is the paint and the art and these things that you don't necessarily need, but they do augment your life. And when you understand that, anytime you have one of these impulses, you could go to your values and ask you, like, where does this fit in with, with my values? But often, uh, like, like Joshua, live, living in LA, I cannot tell you how, like, there's this thing called Object Day that Josh and I have talked about before. So Object Day, for those of you who don't know, is this idea, uh, our friend Peter Rollins talks about this. Object Day is the thing that you want. It could be uh, a relationship. It could be an actual, you know, purchase, whatever it could be. As soon as you get it, you're going to be complete and life's going to just be so much better. And you, and, and that's just, it's the only, it's only this. And for me, it's the Tesla. I just want a Tesla, <laughs> you know, like it's an electric car. It drives itself. I live in LA and like, it would just make my life so much easier. But what I understand, and it's true, like with object A, as soon as I get object A, something will take its place. So being able to identify what your object A is and it just being honest with, there's nothing wrong with owning a Tesla. Um, I, I don't do debt, so to fork over, you know, $30,000 or $35,000 for a car, like, I don't, I don't have that kind of money to just drop on a car and not hurt. So, uh, so yeah, uh, just understanding that object A concept helps me move past a lot of that stuff as well. I hope that helps. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Howdy. Hi. What's your name? Madeline. Hey, Madeline. What's Hi. on your mind? 
Um, I would like to say thank you. I read your book and then quit my job. So Congrats. <laughs> I read your book and quit my job. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And now I need some money, guys. So if right, we could... Uh... Right. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Um, My question is about values. Um, I want to have friends from different walks of lives and different perspectives, but I want them to have the same values as I do. Um, Is that reasonable? And would you have friendships with people who don't have the same values as you? Oh, I like this question. Yeah. Because at first you're like, oh, of course, I just want to hang out with people who like the same things as I like and value the same things I value. And yeah, I used to be that way. Um, I moved to, uh, Josh and I moved to Missoula, Montana back in like 20, when was that? 2012. 2012, yeah. Yeah. Is anyone from Missoula here? Oh, I guess we are like, awesome. Oh, awesome. You lived there or you, you lived, uh, okay, cool. No, it's, it's a, it's an awesome city. Like, uh, very much kind of like the Austin of Texas. It's just like this very kind of hippy dippy, you know, um, crunchy as they would say <laughs> and I was like oh I found my people and my people were really like in Ohio when you go up to someone a stranger specifically and you're like hey how's it going they they kind of look at you or even in LA like hey how's it going they're looking at you like whoa what's up what what, what, do, what do you need what's your angle are you gonna ask me for money like you know are you on drugs like what's going on where in Missoula, you go up to someone and you're like, hey, how's it going? They look at you and they're like, hey, you know what? You're cool until you prove me otherwise. Like, they just, they will give you the benefit of the doubt. So I was living in Missoula for uh, about four years. And then um, I, I just had this nice little bubble that I had formed with people with all the same values and the same uh, beliefs, same ideologies, uh, same uh, political preferences. And then... In 2016, Trump got elected. And I was just like blown away. I was like, how, how, how the hell did this happen? Like I had, and this isn't commentary on Donald Trump. It's just like, I had put myself in this bubble that like I just thought there was no chance. And that's when I realized like, oh, I'm actually doing myself a disservice of not going out and seeking a difference of opinion and not going out and seeking uh, people who believe different things and have different ideologies. Because when you surround yourself in a bubble, you very much start to have this us versus them attitude. And there is no us versus them. Like, we are all them. Yeah. <laughs> so I do go out of my way now to, like, I really go out of my way. I have, uh, I have two very, very good friends who are, we are totally different on the political spectrum. But we have the most meaningful conversations, and it helps me understand people better. So it's safe. I feel like it's safe to just hang out with people who have all the same beliefs and ideologies. But um, you can you, you, you just get a much better feel for humanity when you hang out with people who actually have different so, ideologies. So yeah. I, it, it, sounds like, it sounds like you're talking about compassion. It's, yeah. it's helped expand your compassion in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I more meant... I do that now, luckily. I, I mean so. different values than yeah. you. So like I have people from all different um, like political things like that. But I mean uh, trying to find friends that don't have the same values as you and core values of you. Sure. Would you do that? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. So um, 
it depends on what kind of relationship you're talking about. There, there are fundamentally three types of relationships in our lives. You have the, the you have your your primary relationships. That's like the five people closest to you, right? Or we're just in Salt Lake City. It's the ten people closest to you there. <laughs> That's a fertility joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you have secondary relationships. It's sort of like the supporting cast in the movie of your life, right? And, um, and then you have the tertiary or the peripheral relationships. Those are like coworkers, friends, acquaintances, people that are fine. The, the problem is, for the longest time, Ryan and I found, especially when we were working in the corporate world and trying to advance our way up the ladder, we, we were spending 90 plus percent of our time with the people in that periphery, right? And forsaking the people closest to us. And so, there's a line in the book. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. And so, what does that mean? It means that if we try to change someone, we're just going to hurt ourselves. That's just giving, hurling expectations at them, the same way Ryan hurls stats at you. <laughs> They're very good stats, but those are going to be a lot to That's, clean up. That wasn't even all the stats I had, man. That was just what I could remember. <laughs> and, and so trying to change someone is unloving. In fact, to love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. But damn, are we good at wanting other people to change? I love you as long as you do these seven things for me. I love you as long as you meet these conditions. That's not love. That's desire. It's fine to desire something, right? But don't confuse that with loving someone. And so it sounds to me like you, what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, you want to love people, not try to change them, but you think it'd be nice to find people who have similar values to you. It also sounds to me like you're probably pretty clear on what your values are at this point. Very, very clear. Good, good. That's, that's often the problem. Most people aren't clear with what their values are. So you have to start making some assumptions, right? And so, yeah, I, I probably am not going to spend a whole lot of time with people who don't share the same foundational values as me. If they have different surface values, yeah, they're going to. In fact, when you talk about Ryan's and my preferences, we couldn't be more different. So we have different values in, in terms of, of our surface values, and even a few sort of structural values are a little bit different. But those foundational values are the same. And so it's hard to tweeze that out because quite often we get attracted to other people based on proximity and convenience or by the fact that we have the same interests. We are at the same bowling league or we work a cubicle over from each other, whatever it might be. And that's fine. Those people are fine. But you, to understand someone, you have to understand their values as well. And so, yeah, I think it's up to you. I, I, I would not try to change the people, but you can always find people who, um, who share similar values to you, not identical values. Even if they're completely different people, Ryan and I vote for diff we vote differently. We um, uh, we have different religious and spiritual beliefs. Um, we are, our personalities are completely different. If you look at like a enneagram, we're way way different. If you look at a um, 
Myers-Briggs test were literally the exact opposites on personality, and yet we have the same values. And I find that actually makes our, our relationship a bit more rich because of the differences with a shared foundation. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Howdy. Hi. Hi. What's your name? My name's Autumn. Hey, Autumn. Autumn. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Great. I am a high school teacher in Littleton, which is about 30 minutes from here. Oh, cool. Yeah, we have any Columbine Rebels in here? Yeah, Rebels, there we go. Um, So my question is, we're about to read The Great Gatsby, which I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Oh, yeah. so when I'm talking, and it's my sophomores, when I'm talking to them about this book and the American dream and this accumulation of a bunch of things and trying to prove ourselves worthy to other people based on how much money we have, I want to bring in this idea of minimalism to them because I think it's so crucial. And you guys have truly changed my life, so thank you. Um, but I'm worried a little bit about how to approach them because they haven't gone out into the world and bought things for themselves and gotten a house for themselves and realized that they have too much stuff. So I don't know how to give them that experience and then that lesson without them having done that themselves already. Yeah, it's, this is not the first time we've been asked this question. People, you know, just to kind of put it a different way, it's like, hey, um, I know that being rich isn't the answer to happiness, but I just want to try it out just to like Oh, they all sure. do. They love, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's, I get it. And you know, I th- there's not there, uh, you know there's not a pithy answer I think that can hit those desires head on because that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to these kids' desires and where do they get their desires? Well, they get them from each other. They get them from social media. They get it from you know whatever entertainment that they're taking in. So I, I think you know first like helping them understand where those desires come from. That's you know probably a good good place to start. But we wrote a whole book. <laughs> <laughs> On, I do on teach how, English on yes. how to really on how to really hit those <laughs> desires. I'm not saying like you know give give them our book, but there might be some little tidbits in there. I, j- just thinking off the top of my head, I mean, we have this this chapter on there about our relationship with money, and when we can truly understand that relationship, when we can understand the pitfalls, when we can really get clear on you know the American dream is not going into debt anymore. It's actually being debt free. Like that is the new American dream. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a, but, but, but all that to say is it's a very difficult answer, a very d- difficult question to answer um, because those desires are so deeply seated. And to hit those deep desires, it, it does take a lot of work. And the, but the great Gatsby, that is a great, a great introduction to what's expected, where these desires come from. Um, and that's so cool that you get to create a cur- curriculum around helping them really look at those desires. So that's, if I was teaching, that would be the question I would be asking myself is how can I help these kids, A, recognize the desire, but B, like really understand like where are those desires coming from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a philosopher named uh, Rene Girard who coined the term mimetic desire, right? And so there are sort of two ways you could talk to these kids about this. You could... Do something. You have to be really careful not to be overly didactic, right? And just um, you tell them, "Here's how it is, and here's what you should do or shouldn't do." That that's not going to resonate, and they're going to feel deep truth truth with that. But you can talk about mimetic desire. Mimetic desire simply means that the things we desire generally are the desires of others. 
everyone else's desires, whether it's the people around you, you know, your classmates in, in this instance, or the advertisements you see on YouTube or elsewhere. Uh, not on our YouTube channel, by the way. There are no advertisements <laughs> there, unless they decide to start just randomly inserting them, which not our choice. Um, but um, you, 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 you start to want what other people want. Your wants aren't actually what you want anymore, right? Because of these mimetic desires. So I think the only way that I would talk to these kids about this, these young adults um, about this, is I'd start asking some questions about those desires. Hey, tell me, tell me about the thing that you really want. What is your object A? You can talk to them about object A. And, and um, there's a whole section in the book about object A. And, and we, we talk about that one thing that you want. Let's talk about why you want that. Where does that desire come from? What will it give you? Oh, it'll make me happy. Oh, really? Talk to me about that happiness, right? N not being confrontational, not telling them they're wrong, but, but helping them understand that, that, that as they follow that path, eventually they're going to hit a dead end. Like, oh, yeah, yeah I guess. You know, for the longest time, I, I wanted um, to make a million dollars a year. Uh, I was going to be a C-level executive at the corporation I was working at. I knew I, I would get there. And as soon as I made a million dollars a year, I'd be happy. <laughs> and I realized at some point, like, well, there's nothing wrong with making a million bucks a year. I don't know that I'll ever do it, but um, nothing immoral or evil about it um, inherently. B but it is not required for happiness, right? And all of these same things that all these kids want, if they start asking some questions, if you start asking some questions, it's going to lead to some better questions, some deeper questions. And just keep asking the questions, and they're going to want answers, but always answer with a question, and it will take them to a place of understanding you couldn't get to by just giving them an answer. And how cool of an opportunity you have to like test this out. Is this your first year teaching? I'm so lucky. My third. This is your third year. Okay, so like you're really kind of practicing. This isn't going to be your last sophomore class that you try and teach this to. Right. So I would also, you know, just approach it in a, you know, you don't have to be so, uh, um, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to put all that pressure on yourself. Like, oh, I have to do this right. Like, you get to practice, and then they'll leave and graduate, make their own decisions, and then you'll have the next set of sophomores that come in. So have fun with it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. being here. I'm getting the flashing light, Ryan. That... That means it's time for something special. Oh, yeah. It is time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. But since we have a line of people here, we won't make you get out your phones and text us questions. You can ask us live. But <laughs> if you do want to ever text us a question, you can uh, text your questions to area code 937-202-4654. And there's something special tonight with that. Yes, that indeed. Number. In fact, if you take out your phones, you can text this number. Don't worry. We're not going to ever send you spam or junk or anything like that. Um, but there are only two ways to get a recording of this event. If you're a Patreon supporter, that's one way to get it. Shout out to our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Thank you. Patrons. You keep our podcast, our YouTube channel, 100% advertisement free. We're grateful for that. But also, if you just text the word nuggets, I don't know why it's nuggets tonight. Mm, nuggets. <laughs> and um, if you text the word nuggets to that phone number he just gave you, and no, I'm not going to give it to you again. You have to have it memorized. No, I'll give it to you in a second. Get out your phone, text the word nuggets. 
We'll send you a recording of this event. It's the only way. It's not going to be public or anything like that. So it's the only way to get it or be a Patreon supporter. Or you can do both. We're always grateful for that as well. Also, uh, every Monday, if you text us, we will send you a minimal maxim every Monday morning. A little Monday morning minimal maxim. So start your week off with a little bit of simplicity. 937 202 4654. And if you still don't have it, you can go to theminimalists.com slash contact and you can find it there. And Ryan and I actually do respond to a lot of those text messages. That, those texts go to both of our phones. We're a little insane. <laughs> I awesome. text back at some point. Um, now, Ryan, during the lightning round, this is where we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. And we put the text to these minimal maxims in our show notes usually. We call them yeah. minimal maxims because they're pithy little answers that you can share on social media. But we'll really just ramble on a bit. We'll eventually give you an answer yeah. that might somewhat be pithy. What's your name? This is really tall, and I'm really you can move, short. You can just push it down. A there you go. There you go. My name is Angel. Hey, Angel. Hi. What's Hi. on your mind? Yeah. Um, so... I've been struggling with decision paralysis a lot. Mm. Um, the older I get, the worse it gets. And um, I'm 27 now, and I have been noticing an increase in pressure to be at a certain phase in my life. <laughs> so, you know, my mother-in-law is asking me when I'm going to give her grandchildren, and I don't really have any desire to do that at the moment. Um, but then people are telling me, you're getting old. Mm. It's got to happen soon. And then I get people telling me it's time to buy a house. And I'm like, how do you buy a house? And, yeah. you know, and <laughs> I, got, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in 2017 and I don't use it. And, yep. and I just, I kind of feel like I don't like making big decisions anymore because sometimes I regret them. And sure. anywhere from just deciding what I'm going to eat for the day to what my next big passion is going to be or my next big career pivot is going to be. I just, it's really difficult for me to make those big decisions now. Mm. So any advice for that? It, it sounds to me like your friends and family and loved ones are shooting all over you. <laughs> you should get married. You should have kids. You should buy a house. You should vote this way. You should do this. You shouldn't eat that. Man, we are obsessed with shoulds. Now, why is that? Well, it's because we're self-righteous. And we think that we have the singularly right worldview. And in order for me to be right, someone else has to be wrong. In order for me to be right, I have to construct a particular worldview, often with a lot of specificity. It's mimetic worldview, though, because it's what society has dictated. You should have kids by now. You should be married. You should own a house. You should have this career. You should graduate college, whatever it is, right? And then you feel guilty or ashamed, not because these are things that you want to do, but it's because these are the expectations of others that have been heaped onto you. Here's the problem with that. Let's say you just have two dozen friends in your life who have all these expectations. Let's see you meet a dozen of those friends' expectations. The other dozen are going to be pissed off at you. I can't believe you voted for her. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you did that. Now, why is that? Well, because they've also bought into the lie. Now, it's not even their fault. 
they too have been programmed by society. They've been shut on as well. <laughs> well, there's only one way out of this. There are no shoulds. There are only coulds. And if you understand that, there are a lot of things you can do with your life. Maybe going to college will enhance your life. Maybe it's a terrible decision for you. Maybe buying a house will be a wonderful blessing. Or maybe it'd be a terrible burden. Should is perspectival. It's highly individual. It has to do with you and your individual circumstance. Right and wrong are the same. I mean, if you take out the sort of immoral things, like if someone walks in here and starts like, I don't know, throwing snowballs at Ryan, I'm going to say that's immoral, right? <laughs> Especially if they're filled with frozen eggs. <laughs> we never did that as kids. <laughs> that... that Outside of uh, you know, harming other people, there really are no shoulds. These are, and by the way, they change from culture to culture, right? And so if you can understand that, that there are no shoulds, there are only coulds, and that's my pithy answer that you can tweet podcast, Sean, then, um, then you'll be able to let go of their expectations. And if someone says you should do something, here's how I respond every time. As you say. I don't argue, I don't try to convince them otherwise, because convincing is also unloving. Just as you say, I'm not willing to debate this with you, I'm not willing to argue with you. Hey, you've got an opinion, but I don't have to pick up that opinion. Thanks. You know, usually with these pithy answers, like you get like a, a week to come up with something. Uh, all right, so, all right, Josh, t help me refine this. Maybe it needs to be re refined a little bit. Uh, that's kind of what Josh does. Like, I'll, I'll find, like, this lump of gold or something, and I'm like, hey, man, can you put it in that nice bar shape that you always do? <laughs> I usually just add a semicolon. It's yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, man, help me with these bars. Um, no, I, I, I would say uh, allowing others expectations to dictate your desire will lead only to discontent. That's pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even need a comma for that one. <laughs> Thanks for your question, Angel. Thanks, Angel. Appreciate you. Howdy. What's Hi. your name? Hi, Terry. Hey, Terry. Hi. Hey, Terry. We saved the best for last. Yeah. It looks like... Oh, wait. I see one other? There Maybe. Some more people. There's four more? <laughs> oh, man, we really have to make this okay. the lightning round. All right, we can round. do okay. it. Quick. All right, um, but that's it, four so more. You don't want other people sneaking in there. You know how that Yeah, goes. we'll have to be quick. We, we have a time limit. They're going to kick us so, out of here. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so excited to be here and meet you guys in person because I've been following you for years, and I've kind of gotten my house to where I want it, but the garage is not my domain, and mm. it's my husband's domain. Aww. And... Uh, I'm embarrassed to say that literally today I had a free estimate by Closets by Design come to our house to organize our garage with cabinets and drawers and slack wall and things like that. This is not um, a question, it's just a vent. So, no, it's a, no. <laughs> there is, there is, there is. So the question is, how do I 
help convince my husband that um, he has <laughs> that he has too many cleaning products and sports equipment and uh, you know carpet oh, runners this and is you, right? I am so yeah. Sir, I am so sorry that she dragged you here. <laughs> I did. I dragged. I dragged him here. That's right. Here, here, here's what I'll tell you: is uh, I'm sorry she's shooting all over you. <laughs> Maybe here, here's a better question. So to convince someone is to unlove them. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, yeah, that so, hurts. That hurts. Okay. I, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I don't yeah. mean for it to hurt, yeah. but I understand why it does. Um, <laughs> so, instead of asking about how do we get rid of his stuff, um, how do you let go of the need to get rid of his stuff? You know, I, I, well, let me tell you what, like the, clu the clutter, it, it, it hurts my mind when I walk in there and I see... <laughs> all these shelves and all of this stuff is like hitting me and I actually can't, I can't focus and it just upsets me so much when I okay. go out there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So back to the upset thing. The, the, <laughs> the clutter is not what upsets you. You upset you. Mm, yeah. Mm. Mm. I assure you Josh is saying this with all right. Absolute love. Love, yeah, love. It's all love. It's all good. I know that he and with no desire to convince you. <laughs> I know with the whole cat thing, you think he has a heart of stone. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But it's really soft and squishy okay. in there. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, like, I okay. So I think about my own personal experience with something similar. My wife, when I first met her and we first moved in with each other, she had like eighty pairs of shoes or seventy. It was something crazy. And she was like even nervous. She's like, oh no, you're gonna like, uh, you know, I got these shoes and uh, I wanna move. And I'm like, honey, like I love you. Warts and all, hoarding your shoes and all, I love you. I just mm. never looked at the shoes, honestly. But, you know, I I'm not just saying simply, uh, simply don't go into the garage. I mean, that would be one step is like, let him, let him have his space, you know? Um, <laughs> but in the same token, first off, I can see the love that you two have. That's freaking amazing right there. And Aww. if that's all you had. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. everything. The problem is, is we always want more. Yeah, we got that love, but I need this. Just love your husband. Just mm, love him. I do. Yeah. I do. 31 I years. Do. 31 years. That's amazing. <laughs> he's, he's videotaping this because he's going to like play it back every single time. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, fact, the fact that he was open to having someone come out and organize his stuff... Yeah. Like that's, I mean, he's, ma he's making the step. Yeah. And he said, but he said, it's all you, honey, because I'm going to stay in the house. It's all you. Oh. you. Just You go out and talk to her. It sounds like you're compromising. And that's, it's a beautiful one. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Thanks for your question. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Howdy. Hi. I'm scared to ask you my question now. After that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name or your alias? My name's Stacy. <laughs> Stacy? Yeah. Hey, Stacy. What's on your mind? So in a recent podcast, you had someone text in and ask about a roommate situation. And you guys had talked about, I think, a previous roommate situation as well. I think maybe it was you oh, who yeah. ended up leaving. Yeah. What I did you... not choose my roommates wisely. Melbourne did. So <laughs> I have a roommate situation, but it's 
It's my daughter. So I can't leave, mm. and I can't ask her to leave. She's young. Yeah. Um, but she is a hoarder. Oh. And the hoard spills. If I say nothing about the hoard in her space. Mm. It makes me uncomfortable to know it's there, but that's her space. But it's like spilling out into my space, and it's not just the things, but I'm a single parent. I yeah. work really hard, and it's my energy and time that goes in having to like manage her stuff in yeah. my space that I think upsets me more than the stuff. Mm. So what do you do when the people you love love their things more than they love you? Mm. Wow. Mm. Stacy. Um, wow. <laughs> I know it's not true. It feels that way sometimes. No, yeah. no. Yeah, it, if it feels that way, then it is, there is a truth in it, right? Now, your daughter, how old is she? She's 19, and she has a 21-month-old son, and they both live with me. Okay. Wow. Well, as long as they live with you, which, by the way, she has the capability of leaving, um, but as long as she lives with you, then she's going to operate under your boundaries. Uh, my daughter's eight, and she operates under our boundaries as well. Um, and now, we don't set a bunch of arbitrary boundaries to frustrate her or make her upset. It doesn't sound like that's where you are either, right? We're not talking about, you know, organizing a garage here. Oh, she's, she's taken uh, over the garage, too, with her stuff. I can't even park my car in the garage anymore. Yeah. It's, it's that bad. You and 34% of Americans. Um, <laughs> so, um, I will say this. If she's, if she's a hoarder and you feel like that there's it's undiagnosed and, and she needs some psychological help. It is a mental disorder. Yeah. Um, and, and so understanding that I think also helps, gives us some, some compassion, right? She, it feels like she loves her things, but she's confused about what love actually is. I made a joke early on when I was doing the reading, like, oh yeah, I love my wife, but I also love burritos, right? Well, one of those things is extreme like oh i really like burritos now your daughter really likes her stuff and so i'd maybe talk to her about why she really likes her stuff so much why is she more compelled by her stuff than by anything else because if there is something more compelling that's in front of her the stuff becomes so less interesting so quickly oh i think that's tweetable that's maybe yeah. Uh, like the pithy thing that comes to mind is um, to set boundaries is to love, and that's good. We we sometimes to expound on that. We sometimes think that the loving thing to do is just constantly say yes. That's actually very unloving because you're damaging yourself when you do that. Um, so when you tell someone no, you can set you can explain to them what you're actually saying yes to. Because anytime you say no, you're saying yes to something else. And helping her see what you're saying yes to will really help. But I, I totally agree with what Milburn said. Maybe that boundary is, hey, um, I can see you're attached to your stuff. And as your mom, I, you know, I don't want to like just force you into getting rid of your stuff. But there's obviously some sort of underlying discontent or something that's happening. And uh, I would really like to bring in a third party to like help us figure out what's going on because I love you and I want you to live here, but 
living here in these conditions, it's really damaging our relationship. It's damaging my relationship with my grandchild. And, and she doesn't want that, of course. And like you said, you know she loves you way more than she loves her stuff, but it, it does feel, it feels the opposite. Um, so yeah, I mean, may, maybe that's a boundary set up, but it does sound like, you know, maybe a, a bringing in a professional, bringing in a third party. I'm not talking about an organizer. Yeah. I'm talking about like someone who can get to the root of the why. The root like of the one desire. Of the hoarders, therapists that go. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, maybe not a hoarders therapist specifically, but um, I mean, but yeah, maybe some type of, of therapist. I don't know, you know, if she would be open to that. But you can approach that in a way, like again, like to set boundaries is to love. Yeah. I Just. Think I think I'm. I have done that, and I see ways where I can do it better. I think what's frustrating for me is it is impacting our relationship. It's impacting my ability to enjoy the fact that I get my daughter and my grandson in my house. Mm. Because I know that's a really special thing, especially in modern society where we don't live in multi-generational houses anymore. So I really want to be able to enjoy them there and have them there. But all I see is their stuff everywhere. And it's I know that's a me thing, right? And plus a boundary thing with her. But I just want to enjoy having them there because it's not going to last forever. Yeah, yeah. The, the helping her doesn't mean doing it for her. And I think quite often we can confuse the two. You know, I remember with, with my daughter, like, well, we'll just, I'll clean her room for her so it's up to my standards, right? And I have OCD, so, like, <laughs> I, I'm in there organizing her toy bins, and here's how it should be, and, and she's like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so we confuse doing something for someone but not realizing, oh, wait a minute, this is actually... This is accomplishing the opposite. This is making them dependent on on me. And it's not actually showing them the way. But you can show her the way. And um, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some compassion. It's going to take some understanding from both of you. And it may even take a little bit of compromise after you've set up those boundaries. But I'll tell you this. The reason the boundaries haven't stuck so far is because you haven't stuck to them. Anytime the boundaries don't stick, it's because I refuse to stick to my own boundaries. Oh, I'll just compromise a little bit here. I take off every other Wednesday to spend with my wife. And inevitably, I'll like, I'm just going to work for two hours this morning real quick before she wakes up. And then it devolves into all these other things because other people then start calling me because they didn't realize I'm taking the day off because I've already sent out 15 emails in the morning. <laughs> and so they didn't respect my boundaries because I didn't respect my boundaries. I've been ignoring the boundary and just ignoring the conversation altogether lately because mm. I just haven't gotten anywhere in the past. So I think it's time to revisit. And another pithy answer that came to mind is uh, when you lead with compassion, you can. it's possible to have any conversation. Yeah. So when you're approaching her, if you start to get upset, angry, any negative emotions, like like have the context of compassion to like bring yourself back to like, no, like I need to approach this in a compassionate way. And you may, have, you may try to have that conversation once, and you might have to walk away from it, and then you might have to come back. But if you're leading with compassion, you can talk about anything. So don't give up is what you're saying. Yeah, don't give up. Thanks for your sincere question. Thank you. Appreciate have a good you. night. All right, we're, we're testing the limits of everyone's bladder here. How many more do we have back there? Is it one or two? I think it's three. It, it, oh. Nine? Oh, man. <laughs> 
You can leave at any time. It's fine. It's it's five. It's five people back. Well, we definitely don't have time for five. So okay. let's let's we'll we'll definitely do two and we'll try to get to three. Yeah. All right. Let's do. Yeah. We'll do because they're gonna kick us out of here soon. Right. Howdy. Hi. What's your name? Uh, my name is Zane. Hey Zane. What's on your mind? First, I just want to say, first and foremost, it's a pleasure to be able to meet you guys. And uh, what's on my mind, um, the question that I wanted to ask is I've come to the realization recently that I have a toxic relationship with my mother. And she can be controlling and manipulating, and it's really hard to cope with sometimes. And one of the things that I've been struggling with, um, especially as of late, is she doesn't accept the relationship that I've had for four years um, with my significant other. And I'm just looking for ways or like maybe any observations or recommendations you might have for how I can cope with it. Um, I know I can't change her and I can't change her opinion or how she thinks of me. Um, I just want to know about ways I can cope with it. Mm. Man, I have had some really uh, amazing observations of my own relationship with my parents over the last few years. Uh, The first one that really was kind of like this huge game changer for me. Um, I, I was probably 28 years old, or I'm sorry, 38 years old. And uh, I was kind of going through exactly, I mean, it sounds like we could be brothers, man. Like, we might have the same mom. Um, (laughs) She does have a lot of kids. (laughs) She does. Uh, And, and, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm going through in my head, I'm like, you know, I don't understand why my mom's this way. I don't understand why my dad's this way. And, like, you know, they're the parents. I'm the child. You know, it should be this way. They should understand. They, you know. And then I just had this, this perspective of like, wait a minute, like I'm 38 years old and I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I know it looks like I know what I'm doing, but I really don't. I know I have some answers and I know about certain things, but there's a lot I don't have figured out. My parents had me at 22. My dad, my dad was 22. My mom was 20. Like for me to like have the relief of like, Oh, wait a minute. They shouldn't have it figured out. Why would I thrust that expectation on them to have them figure things out at 22 when I don't even have it figured out at 38? So to me, that was an observation that helped me just let go of a lot of those expectations. And then the other observation I had is with my mother specifically, I have to be the teacher in that relationship. And when I accepted that role, it made me approach her with compassion a lot more because that's what a good teacher does. They approach their student with compassion. And I know, you know, again, like there's this should, like, well, the parents should be the teacher. I'm the kid. I should be the student. And that's just not always the case. I mean, there's nothing written in the human DNA that says we deserve good parents. Um, So I don't know if that helps or not, but that being the teacher in the relationship, it sounds like you're going to have to be the teacher. And the best way to teach someone is to be compassionate. Yeah. What's your name again, brother? What's your name, Zane? Zane, yeah. You, um... You might have to love your mom from a distance. She, that, that's the main leverage you have at this point. She doesn't understand love, not that she should, but um, it's not even her fault. We're programmed to think love is the same thing as attachment and expectation and um, conditional. No such thing as conditional love. It doesn't exist. And so because she doesn't understand love, and you, as you said, she's manipulative, That's unloving. And the leverage you have right now is to continue to love her, which means to see her for who she is, warts and all, without trying to change her. And if you can do that from a distance, creating that distance 
might help create an understanding of uh, the toxic dynamic for her. Because you see it as toxic. But she doesn't. One other thing you might have to do. You might have to have a funeral for the way that you wish the relationship was. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Zane, I do want to... We got time for one more. Yeah. Zane, I want to tell you one thing real quick. Something pithy, man. The only, the only person's love you need in your life is is your own, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, we have five minutes, so we'll do one in two if we possibly can. If we're real pithy. Howdy, what's your name? Hey, Fong. Hey, Fong. What's on your mind? Um, I, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to meet you. Um, I'm 38 this year, and I wanted to ask you a question that I'm at a crossroad at deciding. Um, I have a very, I've built my life from poverty to something very cush. I have a very stable job. I uh, got my master's degree, but I'm in a ton of debt, right? Like um, student loans, uh, several mortgages, um, trying to build investments. And one thing my husband notices is just I'm constantly surrounded by stress because I keep adding things to my pile. I, I don't stop. And so I'm trying to find more jobs, more income, to surmount and pay that student loan that's going to come up after the pandemic here. Um, and so I'm being recruited to move out to Virginia, but I've built so much here um, for an unstable job. But there's the adventure, too, uh, adventure piece to that. So how do you decide to leave something that you've built for so many years and you're so stable, you're so cush, you know, the life that you dream of? And I'm probably answering my own question to you, but I am so confused. <laughs> Here's something pithy for you. Addition is the enemy of peace. Tweet that. <laughs> Thank you so much for your question. We're going to get to one more. <laughs> Thank right. you so much Go for, for taking my question. Yeah. What's your name? Amanda. What's on your mind, Amanda? Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, obviously, about the connection between environmentalism and minimalism, and if your waste has gone down after you decluttered, and especially how to, maybe not convince, but help people to live gently upon the earth. Yeah, uh, the pithy answer I would have is when you consume less, you produce less waste. I mean, and, and that was something that, you know, we found out early on. It's not why we got into minimalism, but it's a, it's a really wonderful side product. The one thing that comes up a lot with people is they'll talk about, um, you, know, I've, you know, I know I got to minimize, I got to declutter, whatever, I got to get rid of this stuff, but, you know, I, I've donated what I could, I sold what I could, I've recycled what I could, but there's this stuff I have to throw away and I just can't throw it away because, you know, it's going to go in the landfill and it's going to, mm. you know, it's going to damage the earth. And what I'll say to that is, uh, as soon as you purchase that product, you already damaged the earth. Yeah. yeah. Man, it cut me off. Yeah, you're done. Wow, okay. Um, you're back. <laughs> let's, do, let's do one more question. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so Appreciate much. Appreciate you. Yeah. Sorry to be able to rush, rush. That was Josh's The guy signal. said he, his, his question was quick. I heard him back there. Hopefully it's quick. All right. Um, my name's Keith. Hi, um, Keith. What's on your mind? My question is specifically about books. Yes. I like purchasing books when you were talking about the, the 
the rush from purchasing. Yes. I get that with books. Yes. Really, only books. Mm -hmm. I've got about 500 right now. I've read about half of them. Sure. Um, but part of the reason that I have so many is because of a concept from Umberto Eco called the anti-library, where these books that you haven't read are reminders of things that you don't know. So, But I haven't been able to square that with your guys' principles because I'm honestly probably not going to read all of them. What a dumb concept. <laughs> a reminder of things you don't know? <laughs> I don't need books <laughs> to tell me what I don't know. <laughs> here, here, here's what I'll tell you about our book. Um, if you do pick up a copy, please minimize it after. In fact, here, here's the thing. Um, this book will show you how to let go of it. <laughs> That should have been the subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Um, I used to have 2,000 books, and I, I had a lot of them because um, it made me look smart. And um, it looked impressive. And I had read maybe 20% of them. Nah, 10% of them. And, um, but it was, hey, look at me. These are aspirational purchases. And um, if you come over to my house then you might think a certain way about me. And you might, well, that might validate me and my existence. And so instead of dealing with the books, I would simply ask yourself, why do you have those books? And if you have a compelling reason and you really get value and joy from those things, then by all means, keep your books, man. I, I mean, they're all linked to things that I want to learn about. Like, I'm not just buying random books. Like, they're, <laughs> sure. all, they're all in a very, like, most of them are in a specific sphere, but... Hey, man, whatever story you tell yourself, I will not... <laughs> I, 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 want, I want you to, to feel joyous, and if your books are enhancing your life in some way, by all means, I'm not up here telling you to get rid of your books. But the reason you're asking the question is because you're feeling a little stressed about it, I, right? Yeah. And so um, that stress might be a signal to let go. Thanks so much, man. Think about the, pick up a book when you go home and think of the spontaneous combustion rule. Like, what would happen if I just walked home and this book had dissipated? Like, would you replace I, it or would you be like, ah, one less book? I, 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 when, when he mentioned that, I thought I might, I might go start yeah. doing, going through my books and seeing which Try ones out. I can get rid of. Awesome, man. Well, Thanks keep your the question, good work. Brother. Thanks Thank so you. much. Nice to meet you. Let's give a round of applause to Comedy Works for letting us be here tonight. Yeah. Folks are awesome here. One more time for Canyon City for opening up the show. He's, uh, we, we pay him to be here mainly just so we can watch a, a concert of his. Yeah. Uh, he's one of our favorite musicians. Um, check out his music. Just look up Canyon City on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you stream your tunes these days. Um, truly, truly gorgeous music. But most important, I want to thank you for being here tonight. I know you spent some money to get in here. That's great because it helps us pay all of the people who keep the train running here. But also, you spent your most precious resources with us. You spent your time and attention to be here tonight. And we're so grateful for that. And if you leave here tonight with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Yeah! Thanks for listening, y'all. Thank you so much, Denver.
We love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. 